Shalom, and welcome to the Union of Messianic Jewish Congregations weekly Torah commentary series. I'm Ben Volman, Rabbi of Kehillat Eitzheim. We are today studying Parashat Teramah. Our reading begins around Exodus 25, Shemot, chapter 25, around verse 8. One of the most intriguing places that my wife and I have experienced in Israel is David Ben-Gurion's home in Tel Aviv. The square brick building is not only plain outside, its first floor has sparse, basic furnishings with few touches of color. It almost disdains luxury. But then you reach the second floor and you feel you've entered the great man's inner sanctum, his desk, his papers. You sense his presence as he edited Israel's Declaration of Independence and hosted world leaders. All around you are his books, a vast collection to enrich the mind and heart. All that you knew of this figure, whose indomitable vision led Israel to nationhood, is transformed. I've had a similar change of heart over the years while studying the Mishkan, Israel's desert tabernacle. At first, all the details seemed ponderously boring, but in time, I became fascinated, especially by the centerpiece, its inner sanctum, the Ark of the Covenant. Mind you, my studies started a few years before Indiana Jones' daring pursuit of the Ark and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Still, no other artifact from Israel's past has exerted such a hold on our spiritual imagination. This remarkable locus of power and mystery embodies the very heart of God's purpose in the Mishkan, as we read in Exodus 25, verse 8, that I may dwell among them. By size, the ark was not meant to impress. The acacia wood a ruin, literally a box or, or chest, uh, was covered with gold, originally built to hold the edut, uh, the testimony, that is the tablets of the law. It was only about three to four feet in length and perhaps two feet high. But the ancients would have definitely understood the significance of its magnificent cover, the elaborate lid of solid gold, with the intriguing facing figures of angels, uh, kruvim in Hebrew, cherubim in, in English, with outspread wings and bowed heads. Despite its otherworldly quality, as Moshe was shown a vision of the model beforehand, the Ark was very much a creation of its time by skilled artisans trained in Egypt. The thrones of kings in those days were frequently decorated with pairs of winged angelic beings of a composite nature, often with animal torsos with wings and sometimes human faces. They acted as spiritual guardians. The Aron became known as the Ark for the Covenant of Adonai Tzavot, who is present above the Kerevim, we read that in 1 Samuel 4.4. 4. As God's throne, it required those who approached it to bow as before a king at his footstool. It was common practice in this era for kings to place treaties and pacts in the temples of their gods under their feet. The god then both acted as guardian of the pact and oversaw its supervision. Note how Shmuel places before the Lord at the foot of the ark, we read, the ordinance of Israel's new kingdom in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 25. The word Mishkan itself 
shares the same root as Shekhinah or Shekhinah, the presence of God. In this sense, Israel's Mishkan with the Ark was likened to a portable Mount Sinai that they carried with them. Today, the Aaron Kodesh, the Holy Ark in our shuls, reflects this same pattern. At the heart of our sanctuary is God's law, the, score, the Torah scroll, symbolizing God's presence and our access to him. The Ark, as it went before Israel and then later traveled in their midst, was also a symbol of Adonai Tzavot as a, a warrior. As we read in Numbers 10, when the ark was to set out, Moshe would say, Advance, O Lord, may your enemies be scattered. Uh, This uh, familiar song is now integrated into our Torah liturgy, but the words hint at the ark's hidden power. As it led Israel into battles for the Holy Land, the ark was actually seen as God's chariot with a mysterious power, like that which would strike Utsa dead when he inadvertently put out a hand to steady the uh, Aaron on a cart as David led the ark up to Jerusalem. You'll remember the story from Second Samuel chapter 6. At the height of its significance, the ark was where God actively exercised sovereignty through his servant Moshe after Moshe's death. The connection seemed lost until the revived spiritual authority of Shmuel and the eventual rise of King David. It was David's vision to build a temple for the ark at the center of his new capital in Jerusalem. During a visit to Shiloh just a few years ago, our group shared an uncanny sense of God's presence, commonly felt by people who go there, as if the lingering power of the ark was still somehow resonant in the surrounding valleys. Today, the ark's continuing place in the living memory of Israel is its role as the mercy seat, where all sins were cleansed by the sprinkling of blood on Yom Kippur. It was so central to the rituals of atonement that even when it was gone and the temple rebuilt, The ritual in the Holy of Holies continued as if it were there. But by the time of Jeremiah, the significance of the ark as a symbol of God's protective power over his people had become a problem. Israel's disobedience to the Torah would bring heavy consequences on the nation in 586 BCE, As the people and their blinded king were led to Babylonian exile with the burning city in ruins. Israeli archaeologist Lean Rittmeyer is convinced that four indented points visible on the ark called El Sacra under the Dome of the Rock are the last remaining signs of the exact setting where the ark was placed in Solomon's temple. So, what happened to the Ark? Lucas and Spielberg closed their story with a mystery, but the missing Ark still compels believers to hope that it will be seen again. That hope is written into Revelation 11.19, where the Temple of Heaven opens up and uh, the Ark, or perhaps its model, is revealed. The scriptural record of the fall of Jerusalem says nothing about the Ark. Jeremiah hid it, according to 2 Maccabees, in the cave where Moshe is buried. 
rabbinic traditions say that Josiah had it hidden, but I've read numerous inside revelations that it's secreted away in hidden passages under the temple or, or in Ethiopia. We take all this with a grain of salt, yet we can never be sure how the ark will rise again in significance. In 638 CE, after the Caliph Abd al-Malik captured Jerusalem, he demanded to see the Holy Temple. The Byzantine Patriarch took him to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, but the Caliph wasn't satisfied. Finally, he was taken to the Temple Mount, which had become the city dump. Here it is, said his host, the abomination of desolation. The Byzantines had presumed that this was the end of the story. They were wrong. The story of the Ark is imprinted on the heart of Israel, like the promise of Messiah, an essential reminder of God's continuing presence on our spiritual journey between exile and nationhood. The Ark pointed the way. All we know is that God and the living reality of Yeshua, alive in the temple of our hearts, will continue to lead us from here. This is Ben Volman, signing off and wishing you Shabbat Shalom. For more commentaries like this, visit umjc.org slash commentaries.